Hey, it's your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flourish, and uh, this is an episode of the DM's Deep Dive. On this show, I like to pick a particular topic and talk to an expert in the industry about that topic. And tonight, it is my great pleasure to talk with Celeste Conowich uh, about her new Kickstarter for Venture Maidens. Uh, Celeste, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah. Uh, hey, everybody. My name is Celeste Conowich. Um, I'm a full-time game designer with uh, 2C Gaming, uh, which is the company that is helping to produce the Venture Man's campaign guide. Uh, I also do a ton of freelance design work, um, including I was one of the authors on Icewind Dale Rhyme of the Frostman with Wizards of the Coast. Uh, I do a bunch of work with Cobalt Press, and I have the actual play podcast Venture Maidens. I do streaming. Uh, I do a lot of different stuff on the internet. So uh, it's a it's a pleasure to be here and talk to you all about some of it. Awesome. Yeah. So I think it's a fascinating topic of, about building a campaign world, the publishing a campaign world that has been the cornerstone of a of a live play show. We know of another show that has a campaign source book out we for do. a live play show. Um, it's a so small one. It's not the first time it's been done, but uh, it's a fascinating topic and diving deep into how that world came about and what's in it and uh, all, all sorts of things is, is something that I'm very excited to talk to you about. Uh, up front, uh, I'd like to ask you for three tips you can offer D&D DMs uh, based on your experiences with both writing and running Venture Maidens. Okay, three tips right now. Go. Okay. Uh, all right. One. It's not. Um, it's not like I didn't give you these questions ahead of time. <laughs> you did. You did. Uh, so my number one tip would be uh, when you schedule your games, keep them short and keep them punchy. Mm -hmm. uh, scheduling and keeping appropriate amount of game length is uh, so helpful for making your games exciting and fun for what, everyone. What is that ideal? Ideal is two to three hours every other week. Very interesting. I, I want to come back to that. Ideal. I got I got some interesting data <laughs> that I that I just got this week on that top. On that Ooh, interesting. Um, so that's what I'd say. Keep your schedule short and punchy. That'll just make everything better uh, all around. Uh, and I guess my second advice piece of advice would be uh, remember that your number one job is to make sure everybody has fun. It's not to be a good dungeon master. That's not your number one job. It's just to make sure everybody has fun at your table. Uh, if you do that and you do that well, you can be the worst DM in the world. But if everybody <laughs> walked away having a good time, you're going to keep your players coming back for more. I have, I have interesting data on that one, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These are great so, whoa, yeah. what if the data doesn't back no, up? The data, my tips are oh, horrible. Good, good, no. good news for you. The data is backing you up. But, yeah. All right. And then um, number three, I would say... If you're going to prepare anything for your games, uh, prepare a couple of really dramatic endpoints. Um, something I like to do in writing, in design, in games, is to make sure you always leave off at a point where you know what's going to happen next, or you're setting up something for next time. So you don't just end the session like, oh, like, okay, I guess that's where we'll stop. Always have a cliffhanger, always have a drop, always something that gets people excited and looking forward to next game. Uh, and that'll do wonders for your plot, your players. Um, and then also, even if you don't know what that plot hook will lead to at the end of the game, it'll probably give you some awesome ideas. And you're like, oh, there's a sudden crash and something walks into the tavern and you <laughs> end it there. Even if you don't know what that monster is yet, you know how you're going to start next game. And that's already, you know, half the struggle towards uh, planning a session. Yeah, those are those are those are three, uh, three excellent pieces of advice and okay good and, and luckily <laughs> those are three terrible pieces of advice now so um the short and punchy the interesting one is i, I did a i did a survey of about six thousand dms back in 2016 asking about how long their their games were and uh most uh, most games as you imagine were at the four hour mark uh yeah. with you know kind of a fall off about like three-ish hours and five-ish hours and i think uh, i'd have to go look it up but it felt like i think it was like around 25 or 30 percent played games that were under four hours. And I ran a poll on Twitter just a couple of days ago. Uh, it got about 2,000 replies. And uh, all the you know qualifiers about bad survey data, I know it all already. No one has to yell at <laughs> me about my main surveys. I, I know they're terrible. But we're not changing our 403B or 401K allocations, and we're not, uh, we're not testing new vaccines. We're just talking about D&D, &D, so relax. So the... Um, of the 2,000 people that 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 uh, put it up, roughly, it was about 45% play two to three hours, and another 45% play about four hours, and then there was a very there were very few that played under two hours, 
like 1% or 5% or something like that. And about 10% that played five hours or longer. Uh, so it looked like more people had started playing in the two to three hour. Like there was about a 15% bump uh, in the past five years. Uh, you know, again, assuming that you were surveying the kind of people that were being surveyed before, which is a big question. But, it, you know, 15% is still a pretty big jump out of that much of people that are starting to play short games. And I think a lot games. of that probably has to do with so much more online play. That was a big, like, yeah, that I, was my... I know that I cannot sit right. in a chair in my computer desk <laughs> right. for more than three hours. Yeah, um, my, my... You would be hard-pressed to get me to do that. Right, yeah. My, my, my hypothesis after the fact was um, that people are... That as people are moving to more online play, the games are getting shorter. I didn't test that though, so I don't know if that's actually true. But it feels right, so therefore it's probably right. Yeah. Um, so on the on the make sure everyone has fun. Uh, one of the other people that I had on this show before was David Christ, who runs Baldman Games, and uh, he has surveys of thousands, like. I think it's like tens of thousands of D and D games. I mean, he must so yeah. many tables pulls, at every he event. He pulls every yeah. table he's done at every yeah. event, and he's and he's done it for years. And he said that like f fun and what was it? There were there was so there was four questions that he asks on the survey, and it was like preparedness, uh, rules, knowledge, uh, fun, and I can't remember what the fourth was, but they were they tied heavily with fun, and that that. You know, fun was like the biggest driver of determining whether or not you had a good game, right? Like if oh, your yeah. your overall game score, how oh, friendliness, friendliness and fun, and friendliness and fun were directly tied together, and they were either really good or really bad. And if they were really bad, <laughs> he got essays on the back explaining why. Yes. Uh, preparedness also was a high indicator of a of a good game, which for uh, adventures league games in a convention setting, you can imagine certainly are yeah, that's pretty more important. important. But then, and that kind of gets into your third your third tip here, right? And then. Um, uh, rules knowledge was the least had yeah. the least correlation with how much fun you were having at a game, which exactly. doesn't really surprise. You know, it's one where like some people are probably really surprised, particularly new DMs mm. are likely very surprised at like, wait a minute. What do you mean? I don't have to know all the rules. It's like, just go. You're fine. Just rules, go. Roll 20. Just have fun. Roll Nobody 20 knows good, all the rules. Right? <laughs> but it, it seems to take a little bit of experience before you realize you don't really need the rules as much as you think. So, yeah, and then on the leave off where something is going, that I don't have any data on this, but uh, that's something I've experienced a lot, like ending on cliffhangers. And I can tell you, like, the relief of being like, oh, that's right, I ended in the middle of a battle. Whew, you know, like, so okay, much easier, <laughs> right? Like, all like I did was have more monsters show up. up. Yeah, right. uh, and it yeah. really is. It's a, it's a great, you know, it's a great lazy tip for, um, you know, <laughs> making your life easier. Uh, in the future. Make, making your life easy. Like, your future self will like your past self. For, for, for ending on cliffhangers because you know what your strong start is going to be and you're all set. <laughs> so that's great. So tell us about tell us about the world of the Venture Maidens. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, so Venture Maidens is an actual play 5th edition podcast that started about five and a half years ago. So oh, wow. very close to when 5e actually started. Mm -hmm. uh, so we've been running through this game uh, all the way up to this point. The game is set in an entirely homebrew setting of my own creation. And yeah, I mean, our world has evolved and changed and expanded so much over the course of telling this story here and having this massive campaign here. Uh, and pretty much over those five years, we've we've always dreamed of making a world book. And, you know, as the years have gone on and our audience has grown and, you know, the show has become so much more than just a game that we play every other week. It's a community. Uh, it, it became more and more of a reality to make this book and make this setting uh, that we could actually share with other people. So uh, we've we've got a lot of exciting stuff in this book. Some of it, yeah, is diving into the lore and the locations and the characters uh, in the book. But like any good setting book, that's not just it. Um, there's a ton of subclass options uh, for every base class. There's new spells, monsters, monster templates, uh, which is something I'm really excited to be bringing. Um, yeah, and new, yeah, new magic <laughs> items, all kinds of really good stuff. Um, so anybody can take elements from our world or the way we play games and then incorporate them into any campaign. Or you can play in the, uh, the world of the Venture Maidens, uh, whatever you prefer. So uh, what is the name of the world? Uh, so it's called The Plains, mm -hmm. uh, very simply. Um, cool. Like because I, can, I can pronounce that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, called that because the material plane, as it were, is very, very close 
uh, towards some of the other planes. It's not this like big, you know, cosmic map where you're like, I'm not really sure how to get to the Feywilds from here. It's all very much threatening, stacked on bad, top of each other. A bad other. walk in the woods and you're in the Fey. Exactly, Fae. exactly. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> Quite literally, we yeah. have the Feywalk jungles, which is, is why it's called that, because you accidentally wander into this place. Uh, so our world, the planes, is like this little bastion of security and reality where the people who rule it are fighting so hard to organize things and to control things and to keep chaotic magic out uh, of this world. But of course, it's always threatening to pour in at any moment. Uh, so heroes in this world are dealing with, of course, this political structure that really seeks to define itself and to carve out this bastion of normalcy. Uh, and then you also have these chaotic forces. The Fae are a major player uh, in this world that are constantly threatening to manipulate or use or attack the heroes in this world. And then you also have the gods in the mix who are a very <laughs> active bunch. Um, so a lot of our mythology is inspired by Greek mythology. Mm -hmm. So if you imagine how petty yeah, and right. cruel and invasive the <laughs> gods are in Greek mythology, that is the same kind of experience you get in this world. So there are a lot of these powerful forces that are constantly trying to define what your destiny is for you. And the fight is to carve your own path. Uh, so that's kind of our, our setting in a, a nutshell. Lots of major players and forces that are constantly trying to um, to buffet you uh, and define your destiny for you. So you've been you've been building this world for like five years since you started the podcast, or is this something you've even been working on before that? I, I actually did do some work on it before that. Um, I th I was maybe thinking that this was going to be a game I actually played in three five. Wow. Um, okay. So before <laughs> before 5e, before, oh yes, yeah, um, before 4e. So, yeah, before 4e. <laughs> well, so I was DMing. I I DM'd three five for about ten years or so. Mm -hmm. um, so of course, when three five was out, I started DMing, and then 4e came out, and I tried that, and then I just kept DMing three five <laughs> right. um, all the way up until fifth edition, gotcha. and. I I was I was really lucky. I had a, a great group of players. You know, we we played a three five campaign for like four years, mm -hmm. all the way to its end. And then when that came to its its end, a lot of people in that group, you know, it just the adult thing happened where we all got yep. jobs and we we're all starting to move away. And Venture Maidens was actually sort of an attempt to keep playing mm -hmm. with some of those people. I was like, man, like I don't I don't want our you know friendships to fall apart. Like. Why don't we do this thing? Why don't we try making a show? And you know, we, we play really good D&D. &D, and you know what's even better? I haven't heard any femme voices on mm -hmm. these shows or these podcasts. So let's do it, mm -hmm. gang. Uh, so I actually learned how to play 5e to make this podcast. <laughs> So it was like a business decision more than yes, because I was like, oh man, like, and I was, oh, I was so like, you know, because everybody who plays three five is like, no, oh, I love three five, like this is great, and I was like, I don't want to play five e, but I was like, no, this is the thing, this is the. I guess yeah, I guess if you were playing three five, all the way through and past four e, you probably really like three five. Like I was ready to move on, but not everybody else yeah, felt the but, same way. Obviously, entire companies formed around the fact that people didn't want to move on from three five. Yes, so. I mean, would I go back and play three five now? No. <laughs> that is interesting. So, so on a, as a as a sidebar for somebody who's played three five for that long, like I I played it for probably two or three years, but I don't you know, and I played a little bit of Pathfinder. Um, but what are some of the things that you see between three five and five e that that sort of that 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 sort of grab you know? gravitate you towards 5e yeah i mean what i love about 5e is it is so much more accessible um to people it is way less scary uh to bring new players into the world of dungeons and dragons and you know something i aspire to do as a full-time game designer is make this game more inclusive and open it up for everyone and i love the fact that i can teach somebody to play 5e in 10 minutes Mm -hmm. um, I've done it a million times. I've taught a lot of new people how to play 5e and a lot of new people how to play 3-5. And those experiences have been very different. Um, so just even for that, I, I think it uh, it far exceeds older editions. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I, I don't remember enough of 3-5 to think about how it, 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 whether was, it was scary just difficult for, character for new sheets. characters. Yeah. <laughs> were very frightening i, I kind of remember something about skill rankings and stuff like that mm -hmm. that that seemed kind of but it's so it's been so long yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, uh, for fun, for fun, um, at PAX Unplugged, uh, you know, in the before times, right. uh, yeah, my right. friend Ted from Nerd Immersion and I were like, you know, what? let's do it. Let's run a three five game. And we <laughs> like, wow, what a big we mistake. Started, we didn't get past making the character sheets because we're like, oh man, this. Is... Why are we doing this? Yeah, that's <laughs> why funny. is this happening? Yeah, sorry, sorry, three point five people. I'm sure it's great. Like, go with the guy. Play, play what you dig. Um, so. When you were building, so you've so you've had this world. It sounds like in your head for some time. Uh, you know, and it, just tracing out the the ideas, um, never really having anything too committed. And of course, I knew it was all going to change, like in, with this podcast and everything. So I had ideas, but it's certainly become the world it is now mm -hmm. after five and a half years. Um, and it certainly is much more interesting than I think it started. Mm -hmm. So it seems like there's a couple of different routes that people take. Uh, I'm overgeneralizing, of course, false dichotomies <laughs> and all that. Uh, so in my false dichotomy, it seems like there's two ways that people build worlds. Um, there's, you know, kind of the, you know, starting town and then spiraling outwards or the top down. Let's talk about the 50,000 year history and the gods. Um, how would you say how would you say that, that the world of the plains came about did it come about as a great big world with all this stuff and then you know sort of put the characters in or was it like we're gonna have a starting town oh yes it was definitely the starting town really it was a town called hogs hollow which mm -hmm. was like you know more of a hamlet very small surrounded by woods on all sides so like the most small yeah. contained place three, you could three hexes right like exactly hexes. starting exactly. Hexes in woods. Started, yeah <laughs> in a tavern in this town right. and you know we definitely did the spiral out from there mm -hmm. um you know as we knew that the show was going well that we liked these characters that our audience was growing you know that was the natural impetus to keep expanding the world um, and going from location to location and at that point you started to hear about other locations um and once you did visit a few places, you know, the, the network, the tapestry of the world really started to take shape. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I'm a huge fan of only inventing things as you need them. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, how many of us, we've all had games where we're like, oh, my God, I have this amazing campaign <laughs> plot or idea. And then you get together with this group and then you never play again. Right. And yeah, sure. You got, your, so you got your, 20, your 20 level campaign and you get to yeah. level three. You're like, let's try something else. Like, oh, I that's so sad when that happens. It's so disappointing. And yeah. then also when you've, you know, made all of this stuff, I think people sense that. They sense the weight of how much you want them to like this and keep playing it, which really turns people off to playing. <laughs> um, you know, it's like it's like diving full in with commitment is very yeah. scary uh, yeah. to people. So I'm a big fan of, yes, uh, only develop as you need. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yeah, so... At what point did you start to realize you were probably going to publish this thing? Oh, boy. I mean, I of course, you know, every DM in their heart dreams that one day they'll get a setting, you know, not, their not setting me. published. I'm good. I'm good no, without a setting. Oh, you're good? <laughs> yeah. I'm the only one. <laughs> like, I got tons of ideas one. for books, but no one wants to Everyone hear about else. my setting. <laughs> I got other, lots of other people are building settings. <laughs> go with them yeah yeah uh, so you know that was always like it was always a dream it's always something i wanted to do but i definitely knew especially because you know i only became a full-time game designer in the last two years mm -hmm. uh so this is all pretty new for me and like before that too i also was like oh man like would i be hiring other people to like write this book and make it good because <laughs> I'm, I'm a big believer in don't do things unless you know you can do them well mm -hmm. um so as I got more experience, I'd be, I'd be hosed. <laughs> <laughs> so as I got more experience in game design, it, it really became a reality as I was working on other people's projects and learning so much about the process and what I would like to see and what I wouldn't like to see. Um, that's really when it all started to become a reality. When I started to learn how to do this, um, I could see the design starting to unfold in my head. And honestly, it, over the last year, I was already starting plans to like, okay, here's how we're going to do this. Here's how we're going to run this Kickstarter. And I was very lucky to forge this relationship with 2C Gaming. They had invited me to do some freelance work on a couple of their projects. Uh, and 2C Gaming has this awesome policy where once a year they like to find um, like a, you know, an artist, uh, someone in the community, and then help them make their project. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, yeah. They so do they, Grant, Grant Ellis. Yeah. And his work and, yeah. 
Yeah. So, you know, we enjoyed working together so much on contract stuff. They were like, is Venture Maidens interested in doing anything? Could we help you make it? I was like, oh my God, yes. <laughs> like I've been thinking, please. yes, please. Uh, because Kickstarters are frightening and producing a whole book is a lot, especially if you're also writing it. Um, you really need a team. So we started uh, chatting about, you know, producing the book and making plans for this Kickstarter. And then I think a couple months into that, I think we were just enjoying working with each other so much on that. They offered me a full-time job. Mm -hmm. um, so that That's all great. sort of, yeah. yeah, coalesced and became this really awesome just series of coincidences that led to this book being published mm -hmm. like it was fate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, we've had Ryan. Ryan from 2C Gaming has been on, on this show before. Um, I can't remember. I'm trying to remember the topic we were talking about. But uh, yeah, fantastic guy and really, really fun conversation. I don't think it was about character death, but I think character death certainly came up. <laughs> He's on the side of he's kill, designed kill them some nasty, yeah, kill them some as nasty often as you monsters. Can. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Something something along that line. Um, yeah, but great company and awesome, awesome product. So it'd be really exciting to uh, uh, to see to see your work with them. Oh yeah. We've got um, a lot in the works. Yeah, cool. So so what what were some of the hard parts? Where did you where did you you know, I, I so to like bring up an anecdote, uh, when Stephen King was writing the book The Stand, he got five hundred pages in and realized he had no idea what to do. And he had like 36 main characters and this huge overarching plot. And he goes, if I hadn't written 500 pages, I'd have thrown it away. I just said, like, I'm done. And instead, yeah. he's like, I don't know. You know, I guess he goes, so I go out for a walk and they go, I could kill most of them. Spoiler for the stand. <laughs> right. And he's like, I'll just have a bomb go off. It'll kill 30 of the 35 main characters. And then we're good. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, was there a moment when you were, when you were working both on venture maidens, uh, you know, both as a campaign and, and, and as a live play series, uh, did you hit any kind of wall like that? We're like, Oh my God, I actually have to make this a real thing. Uh, or, or was it smooth sailing the whole way? Like what were the, what were the tricky bits? I mean, you know, when we started this five and a half years ago, uh, none of us knew how to stream. None of us knew. I mean, how, did anybody really... know how to stream five years no, ago? No, no. <laughs> right. um, nobody, nobody knew what Twitter was. Like right. it was all, it was, a, it's been a struggle the entire way. We are <laughs> self-taught on every single aspect. We had no money. We did it all ourselves. We learned so much along the way. And I feel like that experience has continued through this campaign in almost every facet. Um, you know, it is hard to stay playing a game with, Five, five and a half years with the same group of people, mm -hmm. especially because so much changes over. If you just think about everything that has happened in the past five and a half years, yeah. let alone the past year, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> it's it's always been a struggle. I I don't think the game itself, at its heart, like you know the the imagination and the world, that always came pretty easy. But adapting to the needs of the players and making sure this experience was always fun always something that delivered uh always something that we wanted to do i think has been a challenge there have definitely been rough patches where it's like oh man like should we even keep doing this or like are we gonna lose this player or like what do we do at this point how do we make this work uh so it's five and a half years of those challenges um sure. and working together as a team to keep this train going uh, you got to throw a lot of fuel in there. Yeah. Uh, so that those are definitely the hardest parts, I think, of this this journey and why it's such a testament that we're here and, you know, making this book now. Um, I think in terms of making the book, the constant struggle is always because there, like you mentioned, there are a billion and one setting guides. You know, there are a lot. <laughs> Everybody wants to make their own setting guide. Everybody thinks their world is worthy. And there's of a these huge guide. behemoths out there, right? Like exactly, Forgotten Realms and Eberron and Midgard and. So yeah. the the question, the hard part, always is how do we make something that is actually useful, actually innovative, uh, and still communicates what is special about our show so it's a lot of going step taking a step back being objective going okay while we might love this thing that may not be the best thing for this book mm -hmm. um every time it's that constant assessing of how do we communicate this information in a way that is effective and useful and sets this book apart mm -hmm. uh so of course you know there are hard choices like of course i love every you know brick of this world <laughs> that i've crafted in my mind palace uh but is putting every brick in your head in a book a good thing to do 
absolutely not. I mean, uh, did so stop, it's did that stop constant... Wolfgang Bauer. <laughs> yeah, well, like I'll just make a seven hundred page book. Like <laughs> Wolfgang gets to do whatever Wolfgang wants. Yeah, that's wants true. At this right. point, so yep. Yep. <laughs> I'm a new kid. Uh, so that that constant deciding uh, is is hard, and it's not something that's going to be going away. I think until this book is like shipped off, right, right. <laughs> to people. Right. Um, so speaking of some of the crunchiness bits, uh, there's a there's a whole uh, piece of this called heroic destinies, right? There's a whole subsystem that's that sits on top of Five E called heroic destinies. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So in that quest to answer that question of what is it about Venture Maidens that sets sets us apart from other podcasts, from the billion and one actual play podcasts out there, and what is it about our world that is sets it apart from others? Um, and I really wanted to bring a new mechanic piece to the book that really represented the way we play, which is very character-driven games, uh, very focused on, um, we've actually built our game around character arcs. So like 30 episodes is, you know, this character's arc, and then we go to the next one. Um, so Heroic Destinies was my mechanical proposal uh, to help people craft those personal character arcs into their larger campaigns. Because I feel like that's something we all crave as players. We want that individual attention, you know, our characters to grow and change and pursue motivations. Uh, but we also need to focus on the main events of the story and keep things going and moving along. So for Heroic Destinies, what it is, it's a system that, first step, everybody will buy in to the system. You have to have all your players and DM agree to use these optional rules or not. And when you do, at any time, you all can decide to pursue heroic destinies. And we've provided a table of like 18 of these things. And these are sort of character motivations or stories, um, archetypes that we're all familiar with. So like one that we have in our promo guide, it's called symbiosis, mm -hmm. uh, which is when you form a relationship with a creature other than yourself. And that relationship uh, evolves over the course of tiers, uh, which roughly coordinate with the tiers of play. And it is the story of your character forming this relationship and getting mechanical benefits um, as well as kind of story benefits whenever they hit these milestone points. So it's really mechanics that invite your player and your DM to talk to each other and build the best way that they want this to progress. Uh, and of course, you know, symbiosis is just one. We have things like Avenger or like Wealthy. Uh, <laughs> these are things that, you know, characters want to do uh, in the long term. Do they want to get rich? Do they want to find immortality? Do they want to become enlightened? Uh, things like that, stories we can all relate to. And this is a mechanic to allow that happen in any kind of campaign yeah i love the i love the artwork uh for the symbiosis one of like three gargoyles on top of a roof and there's a character like crouching down <laughs> next to him and i was like too. that's really like who they you are know, pretty cool to be like oh I, you know, i'm i'm in with the gargoyles right <laughs> The poor artist who did that, who's Ambrose, he's uh, the 2C gaming in-house artist. And for reference pictures, I was like, Ambrose, Gargoyles. I just sent him a bunch of posters of the Gargoyles cartoon. And I'm like, like this. <laughs> <laughs> and he did a great job. Yeah, that's just a neat idea of like being, you know, you know, just connecting. Like I'm one with the Gargoyles. Like we're, yeah. we're pals. You know? Well, <laughs> well like, I feel like that's, a, that's huh? a story so many people love to have. You know, like they find the injured. Uh oh. Ooh. I just went green. Something, something happened. Weird. Oh boy. Uh oh. Too exciting. Let's let's uh, <laughs> tell you what. Pop pop your video off and then pop it back on again. Let's see if it okay. comes back. Let's see if because I think it's on. I, I'm always going to start by blaming you. I'm sure it's on okay, your side. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> pop it back in. Uh, so if you uh, there's in the uh, let's see. Oh. There oh, did I do it? There should be a little video. I did it, and now I'm gonna pop out again. Oh no, I'm still green. I'm still green. Let me let me try dumping this window. Let's see if I can fix this here. Because now it's completely dark. Yeah, it's green coming from you. Oh dear. Uh, you know what we can do? Why don't we? Oh, there you are. You're back. Are you? Yes. Yeah. There you go. Okay. okay. Great. <laughs> there you me... go. Sorry, everybody. Let me see you now if I can get it. Now I got to get it. Oh, there we go. Hey, look, it's all back. Yay, we did it. I'm pretty sure. I think it's all back. Yay. Hey. Well, 
Well, yeah, like, so like I was saying, um, you know, for these heroic destinies, I really wanted to do things that people, you know, relate to and see a lot in fantasy stories. So I feel like that story of, you know, you find that injured, like, you know, owlbear cub that's like stuck in a trap and you free (laughs) them and then they run off and they come back later and your friendship grows. And all of a sudden, you know, for that final battle, you're charging in on the back of an owlbear and you're awesome. Uh, That's the feeling I wanted people to be able to get or create with these heroic destinies that's cool yeah and i think i think that's something where we've kind of soft wired that into our games in some circumstances we certainly ask characters like where do you want to go what do you want to be and we've seen the growth but we've never had like a good solid mechanics way of handling it yeah so that's that's cool and i I presume i I presume i can steal this and and add it to other campaign any campaign oh yeah yeah, so this is totally campaign exclusive or inclusive. Uh, you can put right. it in any campaign. You don't have to be playing in the world of Venture Maidens uh, cool. to use these mechanics. Very cool. Are there are there other are there other systems like that in in the in the campaign book? Or is, I mean, obviously uh, so that's other, a big one. <laughs> the other kind of uh, weird thing, I guess, that we're doing or new thing, um, we're doing monster templates. Uh, yeah, tell me. What, yeah, yeah, tell me about yeah. monster templates. So you can probably tell I'm a 3-5 fan because I'm like, sure. how yep. can I put templates in here? How can yep. I bring templates to 5e? Uh, so a big part of our world and the factions within it are, of course, these the Fae. Mm-hmm. And the Fae in our world aren't just your typical, like, you know, winter versus summer, good versus evil dichotomy. Yeah, the sealy, you know, the that, sealy, unsealy thing. Yeah, that story's yeah. been told. It's boring. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what we have, we actually have seven sovereign fey courts that are all warring with each other for control of you know the realms of fairy and the material world and these seven who are in power now there might be more there might be less in the years to come because the fey are just like that (laughs) um but what i wanted to do was be able to have any any creature any existing creature from any source be a member of one of these courts and gain some of the powers uh, associated with it. So we have monster templates for each of the Sovereign Fey courts. We have three different tiers. Uh, so you can make like the Blossom Court Surf, you know, out of this troll, or you can make them the Blossom Court Monarch uh, and apply it. You know, you could make a Lich the Fairy Queen. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's no limits to what you can put um, in each court because I think it's more interesting uh, that the Fae don't have to exclusively stick to other Fae. Like, why not involve or ensorcel or steal or coerce other creatures uh, into their realm of influence? So what are what are some of the things that a template gives a monster? Yeah, so the template I mean, of flavor course, obviously. Yeah, yeah, for these uh for, you know, these monsters, they're going to gain the fate type, so they'll have like dual types. Um and depending on which court you're with, you'll have some changes like to resistances or some vulnerabilities. For example, the Blossom Court, uh which is the court of fae that's dominantly over like plants uh, flowers, that sort of thing. Um, you're going to gain some vulnerabilities to fire, but you're also going to, you know, gain some resistances to bludgeoning damage. Um, and then as you go up more and more, you gain certain powers. Um, so like they all have like a, a sweet scent trait that of course gives them advantage on, you know, charisma based checks. And so it's a lot of like easy things, um, that aren't going to make the, the creature's too cumbersome yeah, right. uh, was a big oh, it was a big deal because three five yeah. definitely way too cumbersome uh, mm-hmm. with the templates. Yeah, give it seven uh, levels of barbarian. Yeah, yeah. that's fun <laughs> for no one. Um, <laughs> but these are going to be super easy ways uh, that you can change any creature to belong to one of these courts and give them a little bit of fairy magic and flavor. That's very cool. And is that, is that are the are the templates sticking exclusively to the sovereign fates, or are you? For now, yeah. for now, for the fate courts, um, we're doing the templates for those. But I mean, we we're funding pretty well, and things are going great. So I mean, if if we hit you know all of our stretch so goals, why not, there might be so another. So why not book. give yourself more work? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right, money and time exactly. are directly um, interchangeable. So. so for this book, these are just the templates we're doing. Um, but who knows mm-hmm. what's in store in the future? If I'm, I'm really curious to see uh, if folks like them, if folks use them. Um, I think this will also be a really cool way to introduce that concept to mm-hmm. new people, so they can make their own templates um, and have easy ways to to change monsters and reskin things. I think that's all something we crave. 
Excellent. Uh, I want to, uh, for, for those folks that are hanging out in uh, the Twitch chat tonight, feel free to ask any questions that you have. If you can put question in caps at the beginning, mm-hmm. uh, when the things are scrolling by, I'll actually be able to, I'll actually be able to glance and see it. But feel free to ask any questions that you have, and, and we will, uh, we'll talk about those too, uh, so I don't just dominate with all the questions that I want to ask. Um, uh, so beyond monster templates, are you going to have new monsters in this book as well? We are. Uh, we are definitely introducing a bunch of Fae because mm-hmm. uh, there are not enough <laughs> in published Watsi books. Uh, so we do have some uh, some Fae that are going to be running around in here. And we unlocked a stretch goal to add a uh, NPC appendix uh, oh, cool. into this book, which will be cool. So actually, that as one of the stretch goals, we're going to be statting out the, you know, the players uh, from campaign oh, one. Neat. They're going to make an appearance. Yeah. Um, I'm calling it my uh, my most wanted list. So I'm, you know, all the dastardly characters who have been seen in the plane. So that includes, of course, our uh, our players, uh, as well as some of these like really horrible fae creatures that have preyed on the uh, the citizens of the plains and really enforced that like we hate the fae because they do <laughs> horrible stuff. Uh, so there are going to be some really scary. Uh, fae npcs included in this book as well excellent cool cool uh so there's obviously a strong connection to the to the seven fae courts um but it it sounds like there's also connections to other planes as well uh yeah what what are some of the other are there are 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 you following kind of the 5e cosmology or does it sort of have its own uh its own dedicated cosmology yeah for now, I really wanted it so anybody could walk into this world and use pieces from cosmology that they enjoyed. Um, so the the world itself, the planes, um, they're they're the main, the kind of dominant political force are a race of uh, creatures that are kind of inspired by the Eladrin, mm-hmm. um, more the four E Eladrin than the than the five E season thing we're doing now. <laughs> right. um, but. Uh, so they have their own gods and their own kind of lore and mythology about, you know, their own creation stories. So that is very prevalent in the world. But of course, they do allow any other people to come in to exist to worship as long as, you know, they're not interfering with the affairs of state, sort of like, you know, how America is with Christianity. Like Mm -hmm. that's clearly the religion. Uh, (laughs) But yes, you're allowed to practice other things here. So I, I, didn't want to define that all too much because I feel like, you know, players see a specific God. They're like, oh man, the Raven Queen is so cool. I want to be able to do that. You know, I'm I'm a big fan of letting people do what they want, um, what they feel really passionate about. Mm-hmm. So I don't define that too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, so Dorian, uh, a, a, a Sly Flair hero, uh, ask the question, uh, was there anything you you were purposely keeping vague in the game that you had to codify when you ended up writing the book? Are <laughs> yeah, there are there so are there big spoilers? There are not. Uh, so something I really wanted to do with this book um, and the setting was to make sure that anyone could walk into it and make it their own. So the events that have happened in our game, haven't influenced what is presented in the, the the setting guide. So essentially, you know, there I built this like Lego city for everybody to play in. And of course, my characters have destroyed it and blown it up and rearranged things and built new things. Um, and I want everybody else to have that experience as well. So there aren't, you know, these big spoilers uh, from the game and the specific things we've been dealing with in the Venture Maidens live stream and podcast. Yes, they are, of course, peripherally there and they are elements and factions in the world that you can interact with uh but it's very much set up so you can tell your own stories and take your own paths uh with with these things and these characters so you don't have like a forgotten realms time of troubles all of the heroes no. are the ones that completely <laughs> change the pantheon and no let like, people sure your here. characters can come here but our characters are the ones actually changed in the world exactly. <laughs> no i'm leaving that for you all uh, destroy the lego right. city as you <laughs> very cool um, the caster six nine five wants uh, some a little bit of clarification on the heroic destinies. Uh, so they have mechanical rewards for actions that are taken during role play moments. Uh, are they are they tied to level, or is there or is there no real connection to level? How, what's the relationship with um, uh, heroic destinies and the characters the characters levels? 
So it does work like a milestone system. Um, so each heroic destiny has some ideas uh, for milestones. So like something like the milestones for symbiosis might be, you know, helping a creature in trouble or, you know, freeing an oppressed creature, things of that nature. Um, just our suggestions, though, it's actually encouraged that you build your own milestones and for whatever works best for you. Uh, and while it's not specifically tied to level, it is suggested that you coordinate it with the tiers of play. So e there are four levels to each right. heroic destiny, and you roughly want to hit, like that first level should happen ideally in the level one to four range. And of course the second level, you know, in that that five, five to nine uh, zone. So it's suggested in there for you to do that. But as long as everybody at your table is leveling at the same pace, uh, it will feel about balanced. Um, so the guidelines are there. Uh, to correspond to the tiers of play. Are there are there ways to sort of scale the tiers of play for shorter campaigns? If I'm if I'm running a campaign that might only be a tier one campaign, right? Uh, yeah. is, there, is there still a way for me to have these arcs in there? And how does, how would oh, that definitely. work? Oh, um, definitely. Because, you know, it, it is the conversation between the DM and the player when these milestones should happen. There should mm -hmm. be conversations in between like, hey, like, you know, I, I really want to form a relationship with this type of creature or like, you know, what if I had this interaction or like in my family, you know, where there was this legend of this dragon, whatever. Like, so I want those conversations to happen. And then that facilitation can happen at any pace that works for the game, the player and the DM. Uh, so you could, you know, jam through all four tiers of this in, you know, if, if you want this to be your whole campaign, you could absolutely do that. Or maybe this is something that happens in, you know, downtime episodes, or maybe this is something that even happens off screen, you know, whatever works best for your table. And you certainly are not limited to, uh, you know, you don't have to stick to the tiers of play, mm -hmm. uh, but it's just kind of suggestion because the powers do scale pretty heavily. So when you get, you know, that tier four, like you can call upon this creature to come <laughs> and fight with you, which is a huge deal, you know, especially if you've chosen something like a dragon. Yeah. Ancient, uh, my ancient gold <laughs> dragon friend is showing up. He's just showing up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's your game, uh, you know, play, play in the way that suits you. And this system is definitely an invitation uh, to build these stories and to use what's useful and what's not if you don't want to, like everything in D&D, &D, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So that yeah that that's a that that's a tricky one from a designer perspective. I think we all, you know, every designer I've talked to, uh, and I think actually Wolfgang Bauer said this when I when I asked him a question of like what what is his highest desire for Midgard, his mm -hmm. highest desire was that it would get shredded for parts uh, by DMs yes. that would use it for their own homeworlds. Like that was number one. Like you would think number one is I hope they would run it as written because I, I wrote it this way. And number yeah. one was shred it. <laughs> Uh, how yeah. do you, how do you, how do you build, I, and I, this is something that I don't think a lot of people have been able to accomplish. Um, but I'm, so I'm curious about your approach. Uh, how do you build something so that it can be shredded? Like, you know, what are some of the design things that you, you keep in mind when you're writing it so that you can sort of break it out into pieces and, and, and use it in other, you know, use it in people's home campaigns? It's important to make, um, you know, when you are thinking of like, great ideas that you would like to see. Um, grounding it in archetypes or in like stories that you know or you have seen things that are familiar and relatable um, is, is really important. Uh, so, you know, one of the best things I do for myself as a game designer is play lots of video games and read lots of comics and read lots of novels uh, and just see what are these stories that are being told over and over again. Because uh, there are these zeitgeists, these trends um, in, you know, the world of fantasy and sci-fi that inform what people like and what they want to see. And if you design something that speaks to those wants and needs and could fit in a bunch of different stories, then you've done your job well. If you can design something simple, uh, a system that works inside of any machine, uh, you know, if you can design like a bolt, that can work in so many different right. kind of <laughs> machines, right? But it's but it's a bolt. Um, like, what a brilliant idea. A little thing that works wherever you put it. Um, so really focusing on that, focusing on the mechanics, making it work. And then if you do want to add the flavor, make it an invitation. Uh, don't force the flavor in the class. But when people read it, they 
are instantly inspired like, oh, I could do this or this would be so cool in this story. Uh, so thinking of it that way, you almost have to think about it outside in, um, inside out to uh, to accomplish. But yeah, I think let them do the work of mm -hmm. you know using your imagination to put it in the setting and you just provide a really awesome toolkit. So this this book also has a bunch of new subclasses, right? Is yeah, it is it one, one for subclass, subclass for each base class? Oh yeah. So, so what what was it like putting those together? Super fun. Um, I I'm so thrilled uh, for for some of these subclasses because again, it was that challenge of these subclasses that are inspired by you know mythology and events and in pieces of our world, but could work in any setting. That was always you know the challenge. So coming up with with helpful things that were new and innovative uh was difficult but a very fun challenge so like in the promo document so if you go to the venture man's campaign kickstarter page you can actually download a promo document that has a, a bunch of cool preview stuff you can see you know what's going on we have our new um, warlock subclass in there which is uh the pact of the titan so going back to kind of greek mythology inspired in the world there were the Titans. The Titans made the world. They like physically made it. And they also made the gods and they made all the mortals. And of course, the gods didn't like that there's someone more powerful. So they just slaughtered the Titans off en masse. So there are only a couple of these Titans, you know, now hidden in the world, just waiting for an opportunity to get back in there. Um, so you can make a pact with one of these Titans uh, that gives you um, powers of creation itself. So, you know, your first level ability, you get like a shard of creation that you can use to shape into different objects. And, you know, that expands. You can use that shard to create an artificial version of yourself and like, you know, scaling up. Um, so it's interesting building things like that where it's like, oh, man, like the Titans, you know, that story is so specific uh, to the world of venture maintenance. But also when you look at mythology and the concept of Titans and these great beings who are reduced to something less than that. That is a very familiar concept. So I feel like people could really easily tie that into their game. Since we're not defining exactly what a Titan is in mm -hmm. the class, why isn't it a god? It could be a demigod. It could be a sleeping giant. It could be a bunch of different things. Right. Um, and so, so all of the subclasses yeah. are built that way with those, those sort of hooks that let you drop it into whatever, whatever world you're yeah, playing? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, we have like... We're basically doing like a 007 rogue, uh, covert mm -hmm. operative gadget-based rogue, and oh, cool. we're doing like the Circle of the Grove um, because elves have a very interesting story and place in our world, so that's all plant-based. Uh, so, and of course, we're doing a fate domain uh, for clerics because I haven't liked any of the ones I've ever seen. Uh, so we're, we're really, yeah, trying to make things that are useful and fill niches uh, that are needed mm -hmm. in, I think, the design space, uh, but also, you know, are, are evocative and imaginative, no matter what world you place them in. Very cool. Um, so what uh, 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 Caster695 asks, uh, what was the most difficult part about building a subclass? Ugh, I think trying to do something new and always striking the the balance. I think so much in 5e is changing uh, with, you know, talking about power creep and, you know, the way things are designed Power creep, in I don't like, know what you mean. What do you mean, Tasha? Twi Twilight, <laughs> the Twilight Cleric is completely balanced. I don't know what the it's problem fine. is. It's fine. It's not broken Temps at all. Temps for everybody. <laughs> Sorry. I think the uh, the, the <laughs> biggest challenge is, you know, how do you strike? And that's just more of a subclass, I think, design issue. It's how do you strike something that feels powerful, um, is applicable in any kind of campaign, uh, and feels fun mm -hmm. at the end of the day? Because um, if your classes, again, if they aren't fun... If nobody wants to play them, <laughs> then what's the point of doing the work? Yeah. Uh, so making something fun and usable, like a, a multi-tool, a fun multi-tool. <laughs> so that's the challenge with the subclasses. Sure. Do you, do you have a process for testing subclasses out? Yeah, I I mean I have a great group of, of friends who play test things, and I just they I <laughs> so grateful that they will like you know just play uh play these subclasses i present and stomp on monsters or get stomped by monsters <laughs> um but yeah just playing with it and seeing it in action in different scenarios like social exploration and big combat encounters is so helpful um and then also just presenting a list of ideas routinely to people and being like what would you think of this 
and they were like, or they're like, I love that one. And you're like, what about the other ones? They're like, I love that one. You're like, okay, I should probably just scrap all those other ideas. Right, right. Unless they love it too much, right? Like, yeah. It's always and that. And you're like, mm-hmm. then if you're like, well, I think it's a little overpowered. You're like, no, don't take it away. I love it. And you're like, the more emotional you get about it, the more overpowered the more I think it likely is. It. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> no one gets that angry about things that are normal. Um, so, uh, uh, so uh, Dorian has a question here. Uh, what does balance design look like to you? And how do you approach the concept of balance? Yeah, so for me, I aspire to make everything feel useful. Um, and the balance of that comes with like, when do you use it? How often is this going to be useful? I want my characters to have options for exploring. I want them to have utility options. I want options that work in combat. I want an, I want an action. I want a bonus action. I want, you know, it's, it's balancing. How can I best use all the mechanics of this game and represent them with this class? Uh, if I'm ignoring specific aspects of it, it's better be really intentional um, because there are a lot of moving pieces in this game. And the worst thing is when you feel like you can't do anything, mm-hmm. I think, as a character. I always want my designs yeah, to too have something pigeon, to... too pigeonholed into a particular Yeah, role. yeah. You're like, oh, no, well, I'm not in this scenario, so <laughs> I can't use these abilities. Oh, that's terrible. That's absolutely terrible. Yeah. So giving a character something special to do in any situation uh is really important and so i think that's when you achieve that with your designs uh you've struck a really wonderful balance Mm -hmm. so overall uh looking at the entire the entire design process for for the venture maidens campaign uh what part of it uh have you really enjoyed working on the most Oh man, I think for me, I, I mean, I love building interesting NPCs and factions and politics are a big part of this game. And seeing, you know, the the NPCs that my characters have fallen in love with and the characters that our audience has fallen in love with and what sparks their imagination and gets them excited. Seeing that and having that be such an active part in shaping the world and also now writing this book, you know, so much of this book this project is a direct response to everyone who has engaged with venture maidens and the community that we have here so every aspect of this process has felt like writing a love letter mm-hmm. to to the venture maidens community to D players um to to fems out there who are trying to carve a path through this space <laughs> yeah. uh it it really is feeling like you know th- there are so many people with eyes on this and we're just doing them proud every step of the way and that is that is just absolutely incredible that's that's awesome uh so what what part of it have you found the hardest to do or i don't want to say like the the thing you'd like the least but the thing where you're <laughs> like oh you know Ooh, the thing you like the least. I mean, it's a lot of work. Um, <laughs> all up and down, all up and down the board. I it it has not been an easy road to get here after five and a half years. You know, leaving behind a very comfy job to do full time game design. Yeah, you said you started you know. that about three years ago. So yeah, only about two years ago. Two years I totally ago. walked okay. away from my very nice salary sales yep. job. Yep. Moved to Seattle and was like, all right, I'm gonna try. Yeah. I had I had three months rent saved mm-hmm. and I was like, God, I better make some money. <laughs> or, you know. uh, and it, it's been a lot of long nights and tough work and just being so tired that you just you can't help but cry and like a lot of sacrifices and heartbreak. Mm-hmm. Um, it's never been easy. Yeah. Uh, it's still not easy. <laughs> But, you know, having so many people uh, supporting you and this, you know, this great expectations is uh, it, it's done a world of good and, you know, kept us all going mm-hmm. when times were tough. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly in the last year. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the fact I know we say it now often is like the fact that our show made it and is now the biggest it's ever been. And we're publishing a campaign in this last year and a half, during a pandemic yeah. when the yeah. world has been falling apart with Mm-hmm. violence and political upheaval the fact that mm-hmm. we are here and not to mention COVID, killing it yeah <laughs> right. we're thriving yeah uh, we can do anything <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we can do anything 
yeah, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a, yeah, like you said, just a, just a crazy year. And, and just, just on the like social isolation part of this, of, of being stuck at home. And I yeah. can't imagine if COVID had hit 10 years earlier, how screwed we would have been yeah. <laughs> you know, compared to now. It's like, Hey, I have tools and you know, I was a hundred percent in person and now I'm a hundred percent online, <laughs> you know, and that literally happened overnight. That was, a you know, it was within yeah. a week, you know. I mean, something I, you know, I, I am so grateful that Venture Maidens has kept my friends close and yeah. given me a reason to yep. see them, you know, yep. every other week. Like, that's been a weird, like, blessing in the middle of all of this. Like, yes, yeah. you know, we're getting together and we're working and we're doing this thing and none of us are getting paid and blah, blah, blah. But the fact that we, our friendship has persisted because of this show. Uh, is absolutely incredible. Yeah, yeah. I've had I've had three three groups that I play with regularly, and in all three groups, people there are like, "Thank God I've got this game." Yeah, like what would <laughs> like, I do I without what D &D? I would do. I, I do. I think about that as well. Like, there are people out there who don't play D and D. Like, what are they yeah, doing inside right now? Yeah, you go into happy hours at work, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. It's like RPGs online. That's yeah. That's what I, mean, I, I do. really, yeah, I really, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I've said it before, but just like, I think D and D saves people's lives. Like it's, I, I think, you know, as adults having an excuse to get together with people and, and, and play the imagination Huge. game for a few hours a week, I think it's saving people's lives. Yeah. I think it's really important. And I, and I think, uh, having, you know, being able to put a product out like you're putting out that is going to help people build those worlds is a, is a, you know, it's, it's beyond the most noble cool. thing I can think right. of. It's, it's important. <laughs> it's important too. Uh, how, how would you say just stepping to a kind of a different topic? Uh, how would you say that building this campaign world from a streamed game uh, is different than building a campaign world from what might've, might've just been a normal home game? Yeah, I mean, I think it's actually made it easier, I think, because, you know, the, one of the big challenges of, you know, going from a homebrew DM to going to a game designer is the fact that you are making something that even a total stranger who has never met you has no context can understand and use immediately, which is very hard to do. <laughs> Uh, because, you know, anybody has to be able to approach your stuff and understand it and get it immediately. When you're homebrewing for your home group, you design for them. You're making the things that they like because you, you learn what they like to deal with, the types of monsters they like to fight. You know, a lot of that is back and forth. And that's what makes people awesome DMs when they read their table and they respond and make things for their players. Uh, but when you're opening it up to this larger world with so many different perspectives and people, that is an amazing challenge. Uh, and so having this live stream game where, you know, hundreds of people watch our show, thousands of people across the world listen to our podcast, we have gotten tons of feedback uh, from people with a million different perspectives who have had their eyes on the show and engage with the community. So five and a half years of that kind of feedback has been invaluable for, you know, get, making these decisions about what people like, what people need in this book, uh, what, what kind of stories people want to hear. So I think we have a real benefit uh, already having all of that data, all of that feedback and experience from other people helping us make the book that I think, you know, taking a home setting, it, it's hard to get that kind of objective feedback. That's, that's awesome. Celeste, this has been a fantastic conversation. I'm really excited, really excited for the book. I backed it as soon as I saw it. Oh my god, yeah. thank you. So I'm I'm yeah, I'm I'm really I'm really I'm really excited to see what's going on. It just it it just looks really, really cool. Uh so where where can people find you? And I don't know, is there anything else you want to pitch? <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm good for now. Um, yeah, but <laughs> if you if you want to uh, keep up with me, tell me about some awesome D and D stuff you're doing. The best way to do that is to follow me on Twitter at C Conowich. Uh, you can see that in the handle on the overlay here. Yep. Um, if you want to look at the full catalog of everything I've written, have posted on the DMs Guild, all the shows I'm on, producing, podcasting, etc., uh, go to my website celesteconowich.com. Um, yeah, if you if you like this. Uh, you can see more of my stuff if you buy Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, or, you know, I have a ton of stuff on the DMs Guild uh, that you can look at. And of course, you know, I am now uh, full-time with 2C Gaming, so keep your eyes on 2C Gaming as well, because uh, they've got some really amazing stuff 
coming awesome. up soon. Awesome. And of course, yeah, uh, Venture Maidens at Venture Maidens everywhere on social media. And please do check out the Kickstarter page. Uh, <laughs> we would really appreciate your support. Yeah, it's it's great stuff, and I'm really excited to see. It's already it's already made its funding goals. And, yes. Uh, yeah, well through. on its way. So that's 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 <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. I I can't wait can't wait to see the final product. Um, so, so thank you very much. Uh, I want to thank everybody who hung out in Twitch chat tonight. Thank you for the great questions. Uh, for those of you watching on YouTube or listening on the podcast, uh, thank you as well. And uh, uh, we, will, we, will, we will call it a night. So, so have a great night, everybody. I can't find out where to end. There we go.